Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stanford Chidge, of course, and I've got the lovely Jonathan Kidd with me. Great to be here. And the delightful Mark Meehan. Good evening, everybody. And the equally delightful Mr. Dane Whittle. Evening. And tonight we are looking back on the 1994-1995 season as part of our 50 Years of Chelsea series. And thus far, we have seen out 1994 with a one-all draw against uh, Wimbledon at home, we're sitting in tenth in the league. We're in the next round. <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think probably the quarter-final of the uh, European Cup Winners' Cup, which is yet to come. But of course, as we all know, the first well, usually the first weekend in January, and uh, 1995 was no different. Is all about the FA Cup, and uh, as you know, of course, we were in the final the season before. We got absolutely dubbed four nil, rather unfairly, by Man United. Uh, this year, we're at home against um, against Charlton. Pretty simple routine victory for us, really. Peacock after nine, Sinclair, Sinclair after forty one, Johnny Spencer just to top it off on eighty nine. Um, but there was some interesting stuff going on around that game, wasn't there, Mark? Yeah, there was, there was the most significant. Obviously, you mentioned Spencer scoring. Uh, for those history lovers, that was the first ever goal scored. What is now the Matthew Harding end at the North Stand end. So that's the first goal scored there. Uh, the, the other thing, pre the Charlton game, uh, it'll be a recurring team next month as well. We're actually playing QPR at Loftus Road, you know, and they are so shit. Basically, the game was postponed because what QPR decided to do, they decided to get rid of all their ground staff. And they contracted the ground maintenance out to an external firm, you know. So a little bit of bad weather over the Christmas period, and they couldn't even get the game on. And it'll be a recurring thing because when we go into February, the same thing happens again. But Charlton game. The other thing that happened as well around this time, and J.K. made reference to it earlier, with the change around the pitch. Uh, obviously, the pitch had moved, so suddenly, depending where you sat in the middle tier of the east stand, your view got even better because you, you might have moved closer to the halfway line because the pitch had moved. Ken, being the shrewd operator that he was, realised that that clearly was not on. So he, he decided, and they notified, or coincided with the third round of the FA Cup, uh, that 400, and this is quite topical at the moment, 400 East Middle season ticket holders were going to be moved because he wanted to move and expand the executive club. You know, So despite those people sitting in the middle tier that stage paying £500 a season ticket then, clearly they were in seats that were far too good for them and they needed to, to move into the cheap seats where, where you belong. And you know, um, <laughs> and ironically, history is now repeating itself with mm. the changes being made to the West Upper this season. Mm. So it has happened. It's happened 25 years ago. But now people who sit in the West End are going to be relocated because, again, if you are in the first three rows of the West End, it has been for many years, your seats are far too good for you. And instead of paying a £1,000 a season, you now have to pay £3,000 at some point in the future or you have to move. The other thing that was going on, and Ken, Ken made reference to it in the Charlton programme, um, and if you know um, sort of Stamford Bridge and where Stamford Gate is and where the railway line is, there was conversations taking place between Chelsea and Railtrack about a new train station opening behind Stamford Gate. Um, and the, the cost, and you think of money these days, the actual cost of having that railway station put in was £1.3 million. Oh. You know, you know, we paid two point something for Paul Furlong, you know, and they still couldn't find the money. And it was going to be a 12-carriage train that would stop 
basically it's the Clapham Junction to Milton Keynes train that stops at Watford Junction was going to stop and there was going to be four carriages on the other side on the cemetery side to go back in the other direction and Bates said he still planned to build a walkway from behind the east stand where the museum and the, the Chelsea club is now all the way up to Lily Road running parallel with the cemetery now if those things had been done then you know wow that would have been you know yeah, innovative by Bates. If both and neither of them came off, and twenty odd years later, we were still talking about walkways and exits coming out of the east stand to make the ground bigger with the ground redevelopment. But wasn't this also what the original stadium plan had been when uh, Mears had got it together with the the wraparound stand that was going to be the continuation of the east stand? There was a a station supposed to be there as well and a walkway going up. So in he was actually reiterating. The yep. original, the original Chelsea plan that bankrupted the club. Yep, yeah, absolutely right. And again, if you do searches on train line, they they used to be a train station there. Yeah, when Stamford Bridge first, where where the tower blocks are behind, sort of like the shed end, uh, the railway line there, and you can actually see the makings. If, if you, next time, if you're travelling down, sort of like from West Brompton down to Clapham Junction, it's on the right hand side as you just go past Stamford Bridge, and the old station is there. And what they were planning to do was just reopen the old station. You know, it was there like a hundred years ago. Mm. It's kind of very near Hortensia Road, that old station, isn't it? Yeah. It's in the gap between. Um, yeah, because well, obviously there's a railway line there. But I, I was I, thought... I was excited by that. I've all thought yeah. these plans are wonderful. I really like the idea of having a your own personal state Chelsea station. I thought that was uh... we could call it Chelsea. Funnily enough, that's exactly what I was just about to say. You just completely, completely read like... my mind. Well, it's been done nah. though. Nah, awesome. nah, nah. It would have been called Chelsea Village. Come on, guys. Yeah. Of course it would. <laughs> that's of me. The co- yeah. the, co- the co- cause. No, no, no. Cause, yeah. cause. <laughs> No, listen. Cause a light. <laughs> Not very, bad. Very clever, Chief. Not bad. Very yeah. clever. Anyway, I think after that, unless Dane wants to chip in, I should move swiftly on with the football after a very bad gag like that. Dane, what do you reckon? I, know, I like that gag. You like that gag? All right. <laughs> I, I, luckily, but you, you, everyone froze after that, so I couldn't reply. Okay, fair enough. All right, we're on, back on with the football. we got Wednesday at home in the league after beating Charlton in the Cup. Uh Another Johnny Spencer goal, 1-0, and then uh, Nolan uh, uh, scores in stoppage time. How irritating was that? Um, I presume you boys were there. Uh, 90 minutes. One of my hates is opposition scoring goals in the last minute when you've only got one. But it's that thing. You only score one goal, then you need to score another one, and it's ruined. Yeah. There is, an, uh, there is a silver cloud to this lining, though, JK, because guess what? John Sheridan missed another penalty against us. Uh, this time firing it wide. Now, that would have put them 1-0 up. So, uh, in a sense, we kind of got away with it. Uh, then we had another a, a two-all draw uh, away to Ipswich. Uh, again, Mark Stas. Steenie's back. Steenie's mm. back. Yes, 1-0 after 67 minutes. Uh, then, uh, I think it was Slater. Yeah, Slater scores. And then we make it 2-1. Um, oh no, they make it two. And I do do tell a lie. Uh, Spacker's uh, fouls apparently Slater. I, I looked at the uh, highlights and I I thought it was a bit dodgy. Uh, John Walk, bloody hell! Remember him? He bloody must have hell. been five hundred and three by now. But he scores a penalty on eighty minutes. But don't worry, uh, who is there to save the day on eighty-eight minutes? But the wonderful Craig Burley, who of course is the let me get this right nephew of the Ipswich manager George Burley, Mark. Yeah. 
Yep. And obviously, what did the Chelsea fans sing at Portman Road when Burley scored? Are you watching Uncle George? Oh, yes. <laughs> Are you watching Uncle George? <laughs> Excellent. Lovely. Spons- now- spontaneity. Excellent. Excellent. Now, in spite of these endeavours, we, we are still in 12th when we go to play Forest uh, at home. Uh, and uh, for anybody who, who loves all things decent and rightful, you'll be very disappointed to hear that we're down by two Stan Collymore goals. I and, mean, and he let us know, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. let us know, he the did. bugger. Go on, Dane. Let's be fair, he was a good player, Chidge. He was a very good player, but a very poor human being. Allegedly. It was the, yeah, because he got the big move from South End, didn't he, to Forest, And I think a lot of clubs were after him. And I'm sure it was Forrest who took the gamble on him. And, yeah, he was really good for them. And I thought we'd go into bigger and better things. And, yeah, so off the, on the I'm just going on the field. He was, I expected him to be, become really big. And he never seen, never, or never obviously did. Well, he did. He went to Liverpool. He did pretty well. Yeah, there. I mean, internationally. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But then he, he retired early, didn't he? 26. Yeah, he, he tried to come out of retirement. I think he had a spell in Spain. I think he played two or three games. Avedo, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he just he, he stopped again. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. Mark? Uh, just just a quickie about you know, Colin Moore. Yeah, two two goals. One of them, a fluky rebound off Kari. But he actually shouldn't have been on the pitch. Uh, uh, it's not it's not in the video, but he actually, and Ulrika probably has got to, you know, uh, witness to this. He actually grabs Frank Sinclair around the throat uh, in the first half. Yeah, today that would be a red card. You know, instead he got a yellow, and instead he got a yellow for it. Yeah. yeah. So didn't Frank do anything? Didn't Frank try and retaliate? Yeah. Yeah. But, who, but the Bolton player who gave Collymore a good thump in that time. I can't remember. Frank Frank got booked along with Collymore, but basically Frank was the victim. Yeah, no, Collymore actually. Tried... Oh, he did. He did. He did. You're right. He yeah, did, Frank did, got did. Frank got booked. Yeah, but that was unfair. You know. So obviously Chelsea fans were already jeering Collymore, and you know, yeah, they were jeering even more when he then scored two bloody goals. Yeah, yeah there, there was a really tough Bolton defender, and I'm sure his dad was a, a manager, and he he gave Collymore a good couple of thumps and got sent off it like proper fisticuffs. I can't remember who it was. A Todd. Did Colin Todd have a son, Andy Todd? Well, yeah, yeah, and yeah, Andy did. Todd, you he did, think, yeah. yeah, he did, yeah. He gave Colin Moore a couple of thumps, and I remember that. Yeah, he won't take nothing off him. Nice one. Well, I mean, if you like violence, then this was just merely an hors d'oeuvre for the uh, the next match, because uh, <laughs> many, 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 many of the Ute who, who've, who've spent far too much time watching the Football Factory on DVD pray, as we all know, for Millwall away, in it, Millwall away. Proper chills, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you got your wish in 1995 because we were drawn in the fourth round of the FA Cup against Millwall away at the new den. Um, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> this was like the football factory. <laughs> yeah, 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 sort of like, you know, facts, you know, equal fiction. Um, but basically, you know, tickets sold out really quickly for the Chelsea section. Uh Lo and behold, a lot of faces come out of the woodwork for this particular game. Um, but I was working with a Millwall fan at this time, uh, Millwall season ticket holder. So he actually got me a ticket in the main stand. And actually part of me thought, you know what? Would I be safer in the Chelsea section going into South Bermondsey in and out or actually be safer in the Millwall section? Bit of a dilemma between the two, but he had a spare <laughs> ticket. Uh, so I, I, I sat with him. I, I sat with him on one condition. He said, you know, can you keep quiet for 90 minutes, Mark? And I'm going... Yep, I'll keep quiet. Nah. I've sat in enough home sets in my time. This is one day when I will definitely, definitely keep, keep quiet. So it was fine. It wasn't a great game. It's a nil-nil draw. But um, 
Yeah, good old Dennis. We've talked about Dennis a number of times you know, during tonight's show. Uh, Dennis gets booked on the hour. You know, I think it was a foul on Ben Thatcher. So he like riles the whole home end. You know, so everybody's off their seats, and I go, oh, we, here we go. I've got to stand up with them. You know, so it's like they're out for blood then for the remaining <laughs> half hour. And then there's this weird moment, and my mates are in the sort of Chelsea bit, and I'm in sort of the main stand, like, you know, good view, like halfway line. And down on the right-hand side, about five minutes ago, there's this commotion, and there's some Chelsea fans sort of like fighting with the Millwall and the sort of stewards. And that seems to be a catalyst. So like, where, where the Millwall fans touch the Chelsea section, so like in the far right-hand corner, like the last five minutes is just bedlam. You know, I think, you know, I don't know whether Dennis started it or this <laughs> Chelsea fan amongst Millwall started it. But it's just like, oh, oh, my God. Do you know what? I was just glad to get out of the ground and get on a train to Newcross Station and sort of head home. But obviously we'll come to it shortly. There was the replay to look forward to as well. Well, I, I think we should we should go straight <laughs> on to that. I mean, there was a 2-2 draw away to uh, 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 Coventry in between that. We're, we're also 13th. I mean, just one point, by the way, you know, there, there are far too many draws that we're playing. But, you know, I said that we didn't win a home match for a long time. And I did a bit of mugging up in the uh, halftime lemon break, JK. And we didn't win at home after we beat Ipswich 2-0 on 23rd of October. We didn't win again at home uh, until we beat Villa uh, on in the league, this is. We didn't win at home in the league until the 15th of April against Villa. Nuts. So, in other words, he, he masked his incompetence, Hoddle, by having a, a European Cup Winners' Cup run. Well, I think there are reasons for it, which we will talk about when we do the summary. But it's an interesting point of fact. Yeah. Right. Millwall at home, the replay, a, a match that goes down in infamy, as far as I recall. But, Mark, uh, I, I know you've written some notes, so it'd be remiss of me not to ask you first. And then I'll talk to the... Uh, the other two leaders of various Chelsea firms, Jonathan and Dane. <laughs> uh, and then obviously mentioned in between, QPR was postponed again because that crappy ground. But yeah, we had Newell at home, 1-0 up. It's sort of JK sort of mentioned earlier about Sheffield Wednesday, 1-0 up. You know, we haven't put the game to bed and eventually Savage equalised. Not that Savage, by the way. So it goes to extra time, then goes to penalties. But we gave Millwall the shed end. So Millwall had the bit behind the goal uh, for this game. So it, it goes to penalties. Um, but I think the one thing during the game is the competence of Martin Bodnam. Oh, um, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly what I was about to say. Well yeah. done. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Martin Bodnam was a bloody referee. We had three nailed on nailed on penalties. Nailed, nailed on. on penalties. Nailed on yeah. Yeah. penalties. Absolutely remember <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, yeah. God. God. Yeah. God. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm not saying it's right that people invade pitches and etc. But, you know, sometimes, and you think like the Barcelona game as well, that can be a catalyst for behaviour. You know, so you're playing Millwall. You know, it's it's a tight game. You know, it's a raucous crowd. Bodnum misses three completely nailed on penalties. So Chelsea fans are pissed off anyway. <laughs> Goes to penalties. And, you know, Karin had a really great record up to this point in this season on penalties. He goes the wrong way on all five penalties. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it goes the wrong way. And obviously, the penalties are good. And poor old Spenny misses the penalty, but it's a, it's a good save by Casey Keller in goal. He's a good goalkeeper. Keller was a very good, good goalkeeper. Good, good keeper. Very and good. then, obviously, all hell begins to break loose. There's pitch invasions. There's police horses on there as well. Yes. But then the other thing as well is, um, and obviously, when things like that, and people tend to hang around and see what's going on, and the tradition back then, um, home and away fans, so Chelsea going away, we'd get kept behind afterwards. So, kids, you know, this may be an alien concept. You're going to away games, you know, in the modern times um, when we were watching football. 
But at the end of this game, having Millwall beaten us on penalties, someone in their infinite wisdom in the Metropolitan Police decides to let the Millwall fans out at the same time as the leaving Chelsea fans. So for like 10 minutes on the Fulham Road, it's like carnage, you know. <laughs> and it does, I know, I know he's become a bit of a legend in more recent times, the Wheelstone Raider, like, you know, who wants some, I'll give it to you. But it was like that on the Fulham Road because it was so dark because it, it got extra time and penalties. Now it's about half ten at night. You know, and it's like no one's wearing colours. They're like, that's it. People just didn't know who to hit. So you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, who wants some? I just thought, oh, just, just get, let me get down into the bloody tube station. You know. But I count the fighting went on for quite a while afterwards. But yeah. yeah. I found myself in, um, I don't know why, but in the in the, the North Stand, in the Matthew Harding. I don't know why. And I had this 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 absolute line with Spencer running through on goal about to score and he's absolutely smashed to the ground by a Millwall, a Millwall player who gets nowhere near the ball and Bodnum, who was a large man um, with a kind of slightly hatchet-like face um, with, a, uh, with a kind of beetle haircut. I was always bemused by this floppy fringe that he had. Um, sort of gets, he's about 30 to 40 yards away makes a decision on it and, and gives no does that you know that great sign of of crossing both hands in front of the others to to, to to inform us that it's not a penalty and we absolutely go berserk in the stand it is such a fucking obvious penalty that i i it's actually it stayed with me to this day that penalty that is it's the the memory of the the how completely unfair it was and it was you say there were three of them i mean for goodness sake and the absolute, once again, the, the, the fate, the unfairness of losing on penalties after he refused to give us these penalties. As you say, Mark, I was incandescent. However, I ran away very quickly at the end to avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the R-Bottle uh, kid and Fletcher firm... Uh, Based on running away, Chid. Did, not, did, not, did not stand, J.K. No, no, very, very quick legs, Chid. Very <laughs> Up the other way, but where my bicycle was parked, near the up. up so you, you didn't up. have your bicycle chain off, you know, whirring it around. <laughs> well enough, no, no. Wanted to get home. Wanted to get home. Okay, fair enough. Dane, did you? Did you, were you there? You would have been there as a teenager. I, yeah, I went both legs actually. Yeah, I can remember yeah, a lot about both. Uh, you know, a couple of personal things. I was, I, I was really. I remember the first leg uh, being really pleased to see Casey Keller in the flesh you know i know he was a rival but for me obviously a big us international so i was quite that also my my old friend who i used to play football with mark beard was playing for millwall so it's like a sort of a uh a surreal uh experience for me because obviously the, these these the, the, these two players on the millwall side but i remember another <laughs> i remember what an even even bigger surreal uh, moment was when we're uh it's like a nine-year-old or eight-year-old kid in the mill end was giving me like the your throat's going to get cut sign and his dad patting him <laughs> on the back like that's my boy looking so proud and I was like Jesus Christ you know anyway so we move on to the second leg uh, yeah I was in the Matthew Yard in lower and I cannot confirm or deny if I made it onto the pitch oh if the videos did zoom in I might have looked a lot harder than I actually was uh, I was just maybe being a bit of a sheep and just getting involved and maybe looking a bit threatening but yeah it was a like JK said, it was one of those, it was up there, it could be up there with the Barcelona uh, in, in future years semi-finals with that refereeing display, freaking useless. Unbelievable. And it summed up the night. And it is hard, you know, listen, I'm, I'm not condoning any football hooliganism or whatsoever, but 
you know, when you're to go to a football match in general, like we do all the time, you have to be passionate. Uh, you can't just go for the sake of it unless you've got free tickets and, and, it's, and it's on hobby. But we go because we're passion. So when when you think things are going against you, naturally you do get this like aggressive manner come out of you, and you can like it can overspill. Not I'm I'm condoning clumping anyone, but I'm saying, you know, in that moment with a referee and you lose deal, it, London derby, you can get like really like really angry about it. So that's clearly what happened to thousands. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Dane, it's it's funny you mentioned the Overbro incident because I swear to God, had I not been at the back of gate 17 for that, if I'd have been, you know, anywhere near the front, I swear to God, I was so angry and incensed, I would have got on the pitch and I'd have nutted Overbro. I was absolutely just... I mean, I don't think any of you have really ever seen me really angry, but I was just absolutely spitting. Yeah, yeah. that Barcelona, I know we're going, so I'm going years forward, but mm. I think... I nearly come out of that game practically crying because I thought it was... Uh, but like JK said, this freaking referee was freaking awful as well. He was a, a good couple of... Even not just penalties, it was fouls. It was, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of little... It was a typical Mick McCarthy yeah. uh, team yeah. performance. Well, there was... Remember. They also had our, our, our great former striker, Dave Mitchell, playing up front yeah. for them. Uh, <laughs> four, four bookings aside, actually, but for both of us got four bookings, which is interesting. What, what, one of the press reports said, like Dave Mitchell threatened. You know, I thought I don't remember Dave Mitchell threatened what? <laughs> threatened what? At any time played for Chelsea, <laughs> the threat of Dave Mitchell up front for Millwall. <laughs> Dave Mitchell. They had some hard <laughs> bastards though. Ben Thatcher, Alex the Ray, midfielder, the young midfielder. I quite always quite liked him. He used to put his foot in the young Alex Ray. Yeah, I no, think Alex uh, Ray. he was. Uh, he was. I think he was English. He scored one of the penalties. He wore number four because oh, I remember Savage. Ray... Roberts. Was Savage. Roberts. No, that's it. Oh, Roberts. Yeah, 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 I quite liked Roberts. I don't. I don't know if he. I can't remember how it's his mm. career. He went on and did better. Anyway, uh, if one uh, London derby wasn't enough, we then followed up with our arguably our two most important London derbies. I mean, I suppose you could chuck Arsenal in there, but. 1-1 against Spurs. Sheringham scored for them. Uh, Wise equalised with a great hoddle cross. The the only thing to note about this was from the commentary on the uh, on the season review, which is they mentioned Chelsea's extraordinary record against Spurs, even in 1995. And I'm just thinking, if only you bloody knew what we know now, what would you be calling it now? I just thought that was great. Uh, we then managed to lose uh, 2-1 away to West Ham. Hutchinson scores again, 1-0. Burnley makes it 1-0. And then... Oh, sorry, I'm doing yeah, live. We won, won I know. What am I doing? I'm getting boss-eyed in my old age. Yeah, we won 2-1, which is great, of course. Uh, the interesting thing here is that Steeny scores again. Uh, he scored against Millwall, obviously, in the cup. He's about to go on another one of his little runs. I'll tell you all about that in a minute. But before we do, uh, we have the small matter of uh, a match against Brugge. Or, if you prefer... Bruges. It's the quarter-final of the European Cup and his Cup first leg in uh, in Brussels in the Olympic Stadium. Uh, and uh, Mark, again, has written some fabulous notes about this, so I shall just hand it over to Mark. I, I think we start with what happened before Bruges was England's fans rioting in Dublin. Uh, obviously, the England Island International got, got cancelled. So this was the first time post-Dublin that an English team was playing in Europe. So there was a huge spotlight on Chelsea and Chelsea fans. And they and just this... had all the trouble with Millwall. Yeah, and we just had all the trouble with Millwall as well. So the Belgian authorities, and you think about things like civil liberties, the Belgian authorities passed a 24-hour law that you could actually be arrested if you did not have a ticket for the game. And I'll, I'll come to some of the things that actually went happen. So this is almost like Mission Impossible, that all the travelling Chelsea fans, either ticket or no ticket, 
how do you get behind almost like enemy lines without getting captured by the Belgian police? Um, and obviously people came up with all various ways to get into the country. So, um, and people, if people go onto YouTube, you know, and you search, you'll find some incredible videos. I found one last night and your heart goes out because obviously they were stopping cars at Ostend and they were turning the cars back Ostend on the next boat back to the UK if they didn't have a match ticket on them. And there's this video of these four Welsh lads going, we're already going to the duty three in Calais, boy you know, and they've literally got turned back, you know, at Ostend and going back to Dover. So we took the tactical viewpoint. Um, we wouldn't go that way. We'd go to Calais. And I have to thank the guy who I know to this day, um, a guy called Pete Coffey. I've known Pete for years. Uh, and Pete sorted out everything for this trip. Now, Pete is a unique person. I've got two season tickets. I've got a season ticket for Chelsea and I've got a season ticket for Wheelstone. Peter's got a season ticket for Wheelstone, Chelsea, Glasgow Celtic. And he also happened to be a member of the Republic of Ireland Supporters Clubs. in effect becomes a season ticket because he does most of their games. So how he has time for work and a life, I, I do not know. But in travelling around Europe, Peter met this Belgian fan when Ireland played Belgium in a World Cup qualifier, got talking and said, well, if Chelsea ever play in Belgium against my team Bruges, give me a call. And I'll put you up and I'll sort you out match tickets. So Pete kept his number. As soon as we're in the quarterfinals, give this guy called Rec a ring. So Rec picks us up in Calais. So we go into Calais. We're behind enemy lines. Um, there's a slight detour because obviously Pete is... Um... Oh, oh I'm not remember, has been sold to Marseille. Yeah, and Marseille have been relegated for corruption. So they're playing in the second or third division in France. So we detour... Be some obscure second or third division ground so Pete can get eight tickets for when Marseille are playing there because the Ireland fans are going to go and cheer for Cascarino. We head on to Bruges um, and the Bruges Supporters Club, we spend the Monday night in there uh, and they host us. They will not allow us to buy a drink all night. There's four of us. We're their guests. They, they look after us. We teach them a few Chelsea songs and we've arranged to play them the next day in a game. And obviously I'm panicking because I'm the manager of the team. Will we actually get 11 players into the country to play against Bruce Supporters Club? Uh, also, Sky Sports have picked up on it because they want a good news story rather than football fans fighting. Uh, and the Belgian um, local news channel picked up. So there's two film crews uh, want to film the game. So obviously we, we, we're staying with Rec. Rec owns a chip shop uh, in the middle of Bruges. So I was on a diet of chips and mussels for sort of like three days solid. I recommend that to, to you. And lager, by the way. Had a bar. <laughs> no Belgian yeah, beer, Mark. Come no, on. that's what I mean. Lager. Stella. I was on Stella for right, three days. Right. That's, that's probably I, I developed the taste for Stella. So, so you know, start sort of phoning. The ground is in a place called Langemark, which is about 50 kilometres from Bruges. And we decide the landmark will be, and you'll like this, Chidge, because I think you've been there with Alex on one of her tours. I have. It's where the German cemetery is. Yes. So the game, the nearest landmark is the game is in Ypres, uh, and the Belgians call it Ypres, I think, if I've uh, done it correctly. So we're going to meet at the Menin Gates, and that's the landmark to meet everybody for the game against the Bruce Supporters Club. You could, you so could have used that as the goalposts. Well, we could, but I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. You know. um, so... Um, We've obviously heard stories about people being stopped, etc. So people are ringing. Um, I got phone calls from Brussels. This is pre-mobile phones, by the way. Phone calls. I'm at Garden Ore Station. How do I get to eat? I'm in Bruges. How do I get to eat? So I'm giving them directions. And at the last call I get from the last two members, and I basically sort of say, well, how do we get there, Mark? I said, well, if you're at Garden Ore, you get a train to Cortric, uh, and then you change trains and go to eat from there, and we'll meet you at the Menin Gate. 
So they sort of say, well, how will we find the Menin Gate? And I go, well, this is Flemish part of Belgium. Uh, it's called Menin Pur in Belgium, Menin Gate. Ask anybody where the Menin Gate is. So they say to me, but will they know what the Menin Gate is, Mark? And I said, of course they fucking will. It's a big fucking war memorial. <laughs> you know, think of Marble Arts. You know, so we finally get there. We put the team together. Sky Sports turn, turn up. So the game sort of like kicks off. Um, so we're playing in mud that would probably remind you of the First World War. It, it, it was that muddy. But before we get there, um, and this is where it gets to get a bit sinister, what's actually going on. Uh, while we're at each station, the local police turn up and they escort us to the playing fields, you know, because they want to know what we're doing there. And we'll hear more of them later. Um, so we play the game uh, early on in the first half. You know Neil Beard? Yep. So Neil Beard does this brilliant diving save, but he wasn't the goalkeeper. So he gets sent off and we give away a penalty to the Brew Supporters Club. I, in my role as captain, protest not to Martin Bodenham, by the way, no. to the local Belgian affiliated referee that, you know, even though it's a cup winner's cup first leg between supporters. So I persuade him to let Neil back on. So we get back to 11 against 11. We equalise. A guy called Steve Boucher, if he's listening, scores the goal. Now, Steve will tell you it was an overhead kick, but I remember it as a scramble across the line. <laughs> and then we get to half time. And remember, the Sky television crew is there. The Belgian TV crew is there. So we go in the dressing room at half time and they say to me, they want me to do sort of like a bit like a Winston Churchill rousing speech to the team. So I'm, I'm doing there talking about, and if you, I, I was less Churchill, I was probably more Mike Bassett. If you've ever seen Mike, Mike Bassett, the, the movie. Um, so I'm talking about fight them on the beaches, defender islands, whatever the cost may be, and we'll never surrender. Uh, and then like that big centre half, I think we kick the door in as we go out for the second half and go, let's do the bastards. Yeah. Um, by, by then, uh, a guy called Ian Seymour, many Chelsea fans will know Ian, been going for years, part of the Reading Chelsea. Ian turns up, um, so Nick Brown, um, who used to edit the Chelsea Independent, has spent the whole first half um, pissed out of his head and probably with the turning speed of the Amico Cadiz. You know, <laughs> bless him. <laughs> so we, we you know, sympathetically replace Nick. We score a goal in the second half, unfortunately get disallowed for offside. And then Bruce score a late winner. So we lose 2-1, but it's we've got the away goal to take him back to Stamford Bridge. And I'll talk later when we talk about the second leg. And this way it gets even more sinister. We go back to the supporters club and they've laid on free food and drink. They were great hosts. All this crap about violence and Dublin, etc. You know, you couldn't have met a nicer group of supporters. And then the police who met us at each station come back, you know, and they insist on every Chelsea fan that was there uh, inspecting their ticket to see if they had a ticket for the game. Now, one of our team had a ticket in what was called Block C. And on the morning of the game, it was rumoured that a lot of Chelsea fans, someone had been over and bought tickets for Block C and there was loads of forgeries in place. But the advice from Bruges was if you turned up um, at the box office at six o'clock with a Block C ticket, they would verify and give you a proper Block C ticket to deal with the for forgeries that were taking place. So that's explained to the police. They're having none of it. And the guy who had the Block C ticket, they confiscated the ticket off him saying it was not a valid ticket and they were going to deport him there and then. You know, fortunately, sort of like uh, the head of the Brew Supporters Club steps in and basically gives his match ticket to this Chelsea fan. Yeah, he was actually embarrassed the way the police were behaving towards us. And he said, these are guests in our country and this is how you treat them. So he, he to his credit, he diffused the whole situation. You know, and then obviously we went as a convoy of cars down to Bruce Stadium. 
And obviously by then, all hell is breaking loose. The media, they're looking to get a story. But again, the Bruce fans had their own bar supporters club near the stadium. So they sneak us in there. They look after us. You know, we, I don't think I bought a drink much of the whole time there. But the dilemma is when we're going down then towards the ground, there's still that thing about, you know, possession. If you're not in the right ticket, if you're in the wrong end, you'll get arrested and deported. So if you've ever seen Vikings and the shield wall, they do a shield wall around us. So there's like 20 Bruges fans, about half a dozen of us, and we're in the middle. They give us Bruges scarves and hats. And we literally sort of like do a shield wall down to the turnstiles and they're singing Bruges songs and we're in amongst them. till we get to the turnstile, we show our ticket and, and then we're into the ground. But it doesn't work like that for everybody. And I've, I mentioned him, he's a friend of mine. I've been going to Chelsea for years, you know, uh, and he, he had a ticket for the game and he might have had a, a, a few beers too many, like, like most of us had. And there were examples of what was already going on, the way that the Belgian police was behaving. So he's walking down, his name's Dan Ford, and he's walking down with his ticket to the ground. And they stop him and they ask him, he's got a ticket. And you do the right thing and say, I've got a ticket. They take the ticket off him and then they say, now you haven't got a ticket. They then arrest him, cuff him, put him in the van and take him to the infamous warehouse where hundreds of Chelsea fans during the course of the day, uh, either with tickets, without tickets, have been picked up by the Belgian police with this 24-hour law. They held in the warehouse throughout the game, and they're deported back to England the next morning. You know, you, know, you talk about you know, civil liberties, but some of the things that actually happened were just outrageous. You, know, you hear about it afterwards. There was a family you know, on holiday in Bruges, and this guy's gone over to Bruges with his family, booked into a hotel, and decided to go for a walk in the afternoon. He's got stopped by the police because he's English and he gets deported into the warehouse and back with everybody else. So all he does is literally get on the first boat back and God knows what his wife and kids were thinking for those 12 hours or so he was missing. And loads of Chelsea fans had booked hotels. They had their keys, their house keys, car keys. So everybody just got on the next boat and came back again to pick up their belongings. But hundreds got deported. Now, granted, there might have been some people that misbehaved. But it was going on from the, the moment people landed, like Rick Granville tweeted about it over the weekend. You know, one guy arrived at Ostend and he was trying to be clever on the sea cat and he brought a, a suitcase with him to suggest he was going on holiday. But he was gesticulating wildly, you know, so obviously the police got suspicious and asked him to open the suitcase. So they opened it and the suitcase was empty. And then the, the Chelsea fan goes, I've been robbed! <laughs> <laughs> So they arrest him and they, they caught him as well. But it's just like what went on there was just absolutely scandalous. But again, looked after by the Belgian fans. Obviously, we lost the game 1-0. But bearing in mind, uh, in all these games, UEFA say you can't have a drink in a stadium. We stayed behind afterwards with the Bruce supporters. And we had a drink in the Bruce supporters bar in the stadium. So while, while we're waiting around, we're just waiting for the sort of streets to clear and that. And... Um, I just walked down and I jibbed into the press conference. And that's where the press and the media are really going for the story now. And they want to know who was fighting, how many people got arrested, etc. And they're asking this to Glenn Hoddle. Now, we've come away with a 1-0 defeat, and we were unlucky because we really defended well that night. So we take the 1-0 defeat, and they're asking about the fans' behaviour. And again, I actually wrote it down at the time. It's like, yeah, to Hoddle's credit, he just basically says, the Chelsea fans tonight behave magnificently. And that is what I want you to print in your papers. You know, did they print it? You know, did they bollocks? You know, and then you have the Bruce stadium manager come in and like Brian Scoville, who is still around writing for the Daily Mail or some other rag like that. He's pressurizing the stadium manager, basically sort of saying like, you know, how many rests, how many this, how many, etc. And again, 
sorry, Brian, sorry you're disappointed that amongst the 2,000 Chelsea fans, you know, the stadium manager says, you know, the Chelsea fans behaved impeccably, not just in the official Chelsea set, in all parts of the stadium, and they would, he would welcome them back anytime. Did Brian Scovel print that? Did he bollocks print that either? You know, there was a story there on the back of Dublin. You know, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there are probably people misbehaving, but most Chelsea fans are over in Bruges, just want to drink loads of Belgian beer and eat a load of chocolates. <laughs> I'm almost speechless after that. What an amazing story and, and experience, which, I mean, in a sense, rightly rightly over, overshadows the game. I mean, Mark, thank you for sharing that. That was that was really brilliant. I mean, Kevin Hitchcock, by the way, played for us in goal that night because uh, Karim was injured, uh, I think, in the previous match um, against uh, West Ham. He was. He went off injured. Uh, and Hoddle, Hoddle picked himself, I think, didn't he? Did he come on? He may have done. He might not have done. No, I don't think he did. But uh, it was a real kind of... You know what we were saying earlier, JK, about they were really trying to kind of learn their way through Europe. So you can see that Glenn was trying to, like, you know, played Furlong up front, trying to hold out for a nil-nil, you know, keep the score down and then come and beat them back at the bridge. It didn't quite happen that way because they scored with seven minutes to go. But I think it was a, it was a good... Good European performance in a way, wasn't it? Remember, is that is that Hoddle was a, a really sharp manager with he played some magnificent football and some with other magnificent players, and he was trying to to put a, a, a round peg into a square hole a lot of the time with the Chelsea players who couldn't quite get what he was after because it, it almost required a skill set that this team didn't have, and we, we're going to discover next season that he started to get players who could appreciate even more what he was up to but on occasions um we seemed to be able to do what he required um and and i felt in europe that we were doing okay whether it was suited much more to europe uh, his his skills because this was this was a fine result just to just to lose the by one goal mm. mark what are you, you going to say oh no i forgot to mention chids because i know he's listening tonight poor old pete sampson yeah, he, he was on sort of like the, the club trip bus on, on the way to Bruges. And of all the coaches that went over to Bruges that night on the official club travel, Pete was on the unlucky bus that broke down. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he just made it in 15 minutes before kickoff. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, there you go. So, um, after that, we're into March. Uh, the next leg of the home leg of the Bruges match was interspersed with a 0-0 at home to Palace. Um, a 2-1 win away to City where uh, Mark Steen scores two. Uh, so his his scoring streak continues. And David Ellery gives us a penalty, which, of course, he never gives us a penalty, as we yeah. know. He usually gives them against us. And Steen manages to miss it. And then we get dicked at home, 3-0 by uh, Dirty Leeds. Tony Yeboa scores two. McAllister scores another one. Dane, I presume you would have been at that one to witness Dirty Leeds. Yeah, yeah, that was another. <laughs> yeah, that was up there with the Norwich away. Mm. I think you, you lucked out this season, didn't you, mate? Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or were you a Jonah? That's the other question. Yeah, tears, mate. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I, yeah. It's just one of those days where you know I can remember. I think I can actually remember going out in the evening and having a really good evening. Thank God, because the performance against Leeds was, you know, it's what it's those typical Chelsea performances that we've uh, we've all seen and. No doubt all the listeners have seen over the years that, you know, you go to a game with high expectations and then you're just a- absolutely dicked, like we said, and you just... Of course, Dorigo playing for, them, for you. Right? Yeah, as a, yeah, like Dorigo, like, you know, I was thought, you know, I've said, I've said a couple of times, Minto, Lasso, Dorigo, you know, very attacking, good left-backs, you know, 
probably a bit ahead of their time. And uh, Dorigo, yeah, he, he was getting a bit of stick off, obviously, the Chelsea fans. for. Yes, for indeed. Fans. So, yeah. really, I mean, I think this is the point, actually, and it's the theme I'll pick up uh, again in the summary. But, you know, the, the, the European games are clearly now the focus of what, what's going on. I mean, we're, we're still, you know, mid-table at this stage. And it's interesting how our form, uh, you know, before... Uh, before European matches seems to be suffering a bit. Anyway, we've got the home leg against uh, Bruges on the 14th of March. Um, again, the BBC are covering it. Um, it starts pretty well. Steeny scores again. Uh, Paul Furlong then makes it two after 38 minutes. Again, by great work by Mark Steen, who basically mm. doesn't give up on a lost cause down the right, almost gets to the, the goal line by the corner flag, and he manages to get the ball away from their fullback and get gets it over to... Uh, Gets it over to falling furlong. He put in a great run and puts it away. Um, there's so many things around this game that, that intrigue me about this. I mean, this has gone down, I think, in legend amongst Chelsea supporters who were there as one of the best atmospheres ever seen at the oh, bridge. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I was sorry to take. I was in the Mafia Yard in Lower, and yeah, it was. Uh, I went. I I went. A, I couldn't. I didn't try to go to the away games. My mum wouldn't let me. I was a little bit too young. But obviously, like be uh, like Mark has alluded to a little bit earlier you know uh, going back to us losing to United in the cup final I didn't think I'd see us in the Wembley cup final FA cup final I let alone didn't think I'd see us in Europe so I was going to take advantage of of all the home games and this atmosphere will, will, will stay with me forever you know similar European atmospheres I can remember like Napoli in, in, in years to come but the Club Bruges yeah it was a great night there was a right togetherness there everyone just you know those games where you just seem like everyone is singing everyone is on the same page everyone's there everyone knows what it's all about to be Chelsea uh, singing the songs and yeah Steam was brilliant the way he chased down the uh a defender and not give up that second and just put it over to Furlong, who was very good at dropping his shoulder and just putting it in with his left foot. Uh, yeah, it was a great game. Great memories. JK? Yeah, the same. Wonderful. Wonderful atmosphere. Um, uh, I think it was the fact we scored the two goals pretty quickly, didn't we? Settled the I nerves got, a bit. I then got worried. Yeah, but I then got worried, of course, that they'd, we'd had a few people coming back scoring two goals against us. Um, so then there's that biting your nails feeling. But, uh, um, yeah, it was, uh, once again, you know, whole of the East Stand completely full. Um, and uh, um, the whole ground was completely full. Was it, what, uh, was it, was it, it, it was, a, it was packed, wasn't it? Wasn't it 40,000 plus? 28,661. Yeah. So, no, it was wonderful. Uh, it was, um, as you say, one of the great, well, it, it was the, it was the first time all of us were experiencing um, a quarter final of the uh, uh, of, of a of a competition, um, and uh, thinking that we might possibly be able to go all the way. So uh, the the joy was was um, was tangible. It was just brilliant. It was uh, thinking, well, what's going to happen next? And we're now in the semi final of the European Cup Winners Cup. You know, let's uh, let's see what that's going to going to what's going to occur then. You know, well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, you were you were at the famous Bruges. Uh, Cup Winners Cup match in yeah. uh, in seventy one seventy hang on seventy seventy one, yeah. You know which is again by by those that were there is one of the great great matches that we played because we had to come back in that match, didn't but we? This is this is twenty four years later though, so. Uh, but it's been know. compared in a sense, you know. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, Mark, you got your hand up. Yeah, I, I'd echo what the guy said. This was our Bruce 71 yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah that's we, what I was we, thinking. We, we, yeah, we, we were too young. Uh, oh, it was tremendous. 
uh, on and off the pitch. Some of the players had their best game of the season that night. David Rowcastle was magnificent that night. Spackman had a great game. Furlong, as I said, Furlong had an up and down season. But there were certain games where, and this was one of them, where he ran his socks mm. off. And he deserved that the goal he got from one end of the pitch to the other. You know, Steiner, there's so many players. Just I thought he was good game. in the first leg. He was good uh, in back, I think. Yeah, the f- first leg, he was very much on his own up front, really. And he was the same in Zaragoza, although he gets yeah. beat. You know, again, for 90 minutes, he runs himself in, 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 into the ground. So it, it was tremendous. Yeah, and I, I said when I did my Chelsea, that was it up there in my top 10 games of all time. It was such a memorable night. But just a few other things just to throw in. Just the reverse side. I, I've definitely the experience of Chelsea fans over in Bruges. It was replicated to Bruges fans when they came over. Because remember, we've got the second leg of the Cup Winners' Cup supporters game. And, we, yeah, we've got that away goal. So we were down... Much more the... important game, Mark. It has Much more said. important game. We were, we were down to play the return game. We booked a pitch at Battersea Park. But the authorities over here, you know, and, you know, you know I don't think anyone was going to attack the Bruges fans and what happened over there. You know, that, that's just what... So all the coaches of Bruges fans coming over, they, they were taken down the motorway to Heston service station. And they were kept at Heston service station for several hours uh, on the day of the game. And they only let loose at Stamford Bridge you know, at 5.30. So we had to cancel the pitch at Battersea Park. They didn't make it. And we, we played them next season. So when we do next week's show, I'll tell you how, how the second leg, second leg got on. Uh, but I have to take my hat off to seven Bruges coaches. Because you imagine a convoy of about 50 coaches you know, going down the M25. So seven clever coaches broke the convoy. And they headed up to Park Lane. You know where you can park up parked up, did the tourist stuff, had a few beers, and then we met them and we had a beer with them pre-match. So I took my hat off to them. They, they, they found a way around the, around, the, around the system. The other thing as well, which you now think, like the modern-day Sky game and even Chelsea games, the first thing that happened to every home game was fireworks beforehand. Now, back then, we'd organised a fireworks display before the game because um, we'd done cards and flags. So we thought, what can we do for a game live on the BBC? So... We organised a dry run, you know, beforehand. We'd spent £2,000 on fireworks. So we, we did it the week, I think, the week before. And, and obviously, we've talked about the Oswald Stoll Foundation before on this show. So we had to leaflet all the streets around Stamford Bridge saying we're having a dry run of letting fireworks off. I think we scared a few of the old boys. I think they probably <laughs> thought it was like 1944 all over again when the fireworks started going off. Um, but we got permission from Bates to do it. You know, we got permission from the local council, health and safety, you name it. 48 hours before and the police put the mockers on it because they basically said oh it might upset the Bruges fans we won't allow them to bring fireworks into a stadium so they might be a bit upset if you let some off because the fireworks were actually going to sort of you know yeah, when it went up in the sky write the name of come on you blues up there so real disappointment the BBC were up for it you know they were going to actually show it but again so we lost £2,000 that, which is a bit of a disappointment the other thing just to flag up you know I read the program beforehand Erlen Johnson was interviewed in the programme and they asked him if he, if he was a, an actor, what film role would he like to be? And he said he'd like to be Kirk Douglas in The Heroes of Telemark. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the only final thing, because I made reference to it earlier as well, that same day, um, and D- Dennis was on, on the bench that night, if you actually watch it on the BBC, Dennis actually got the three months prison sentence that day. So he actually got found guilty and got three months. And then very quickly, they rushed a court, uh, across, rushed a court, across town to the Crown Court in Southwark to get him bail. So he got a bail, you know, so he actually then got a suspended sentence. So while he waited for that appeal to come through, he, he was let out. And who, and we made rest of it, who appears on the steps of the court, you know, 
Eric Hall going, I'm monster, monster shocked. <laughs> but Dennis has got a three-month sentence. But I think in the end, I think Dennis had to pay £965 compensation, I think damage to the cab driver's spectacles. Um, but then he got a suspended sentence, I think, when he successfully appealed. But he, the appeal was at the end of the season. So he didn't play much football between then and the under season because he was injured. Mm. Um, well, yeah. there we go. Now we know. Um, all right. So after the Bruges match, um, now into the semi-final, of course, as, as, as we've all been saying, we... Uh, we uh, we uh, we uh, do we win or do we do we not win? We know we lose against uh, who are soon to become champions, Blackburn Rovers. Uh, even though uh, Mark Steen scores again on three minutes, um, he's now scored uh, seven goals in nine games. J.K. and it's just like his run last season. You know he he get, gets goals in in batches, doesn't he, Mark Steen? Other yeah. thing, I, other thing I noticed was Furlong and Steen are combining really, really, really well. Yeah. And the other yeah. thing is that Shearer scores to make it his hundredth Premier League goal. Yeah, so there was a lot, lot happening in that game. Mm. I just, it, Steen had such a shot on him, um, his ability to thwack the ball into the back of the net from from terrifically strange angles as well. It was just so accurate. But that was also his undoing, of course, earlier on because uh, he would try and score from strange angles. And if he, his radar was off, um, the ball would just go miles over the bar. But he, it, it was almost, he just needed some kind of, I don't know, to, his tuning was off. And if you saw him playing on one of those days, you were just in despair as to what on earth um, he was doing playing for Chelsea. But on this kind of form, he was uh, uh, inexorable. He was just a terrific goal scorer. He was indeed. Um, yeah. We follow that. Sorry, go on, Dane. I was going to say that uh, I was at West Ham away. We, you, we didn't mention it. We mentioned we won, but that goal he scored at West Ham away. Yeah, cracking goal. At the time, again, you know, sometimes you get, you know, when you're there, you think things are better or, or, or worse than they are. And I thought, oh my God, that's like Van Basten's goal in the European Championships final those years ago. Obviously, it wasn't, but I realised. It was a good volley, I, though. Watched the match a day, yeah, but it was a great goal. He scored, he was scoring away at Coventry as well when I think Ogrizovic. Uh, dropped it I think he was the country goal in and the way Steen finished it it was a bit of an open goal there was only a defender there but it was just a great finish yeah. and as JK says he had that in his locker he, he, was, he when he was on form he was really good he did indeed right uh, we follow up the 2-1 defeat to Rovers with a 1-0 defeat uh, away to QPR Gallon scoring um, the interesting thing about this period and by the way just before the Zaragoza match uh, the semi-final we draw at home 1-1 with uh with Newcastle, um, Peacock scores for us and uh, Hottager scores for them on 88 minutes thanks to a Kevin Hitchcock fumble. Kevin Hitchcock's been keeping Karin out since he got injured. He did really, really well against Bruges, by the way, in the away leg. He he, he came in for Karin and, and played very, very well, keeping them out. The interesting thing about this period of the season, we're, we're now in about 15th position and, and people were beginning to get twitchy. Um you know, I Glenn, well, I was going to ask you about this, but Glenn Hoddle says himself, he said bells, alarm bells were ringing, but he never had any doubts that, that we wouldn't go down, but you've just got to go out and, and make sure you don't, you know. But were you worried, JK? Uh, I was worried, definitely. I was, um, uh, well, I, I just felt, as I said earlier, we were buoyed up by um, the, the Cup Winners' Cup, and that was, that was like... Um, um, that was like a facade that uh, was keeping us going because our league form was very poor. Uh, and um, no, there was just that possibility of just 
sinking into the mire. You know, we've we've been through this before, been through this kind of thing where you you the momentum you've got is a negative momentum, and it's very difficult to keep it to to get away from it. So um, um, the Newcastle game was it was a, 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 a was was pretty decent that they then drew. Um, this is in between the Zaragoza game, and uh, and then Wimbledon, which took the heat off. But there was that period just before. Um, uh, well, in, J- J.K., in it, 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 it was that it was that one nil win between the Zaragoza matches against Villa. Well, that was the first yeah, win at home. Well, but I think the two J.K., J- that was yeah. the first win at home since yeah, yeah. October the twenty third in the league. No, no indeed, but we yeah. still weren't. We the fact we drew two games was a plus. Yeah, we drew Wimbledon, the, didn't we? And we drew yeah, United, yeah, and yeah, of course yeah. we we're drawn against Newcastle. Yeah, the uh, Saints was a dreadful, dreadful um, performance, but nonetheless it was. Uh, I think if we'd been losing regularly, I think there would have been even more despair. But the fact that we drew 1-1 against Newcastle, that, who were a very decent side at the time, as we've established, and then we drew at Wimbledon. And United, made, of course. That was... Um, away, and, good draw. Yeah. That, I remember that Wimbledon, JK. That was at Selhurst Park. I think it was a Monday night. It was only about 6,000 there. It was freaking... It was yeah. uh, QPR fought the, the couple of weeks before. That was an awful game as well. I thought we was going to win because Ferdinand wasn't playing, but we didn't. But that's Selhurst Park on a Monday night. What a waste of time. I know we drew one over. We, we clearly had all the, all the views on the European run. Yeah, and of course, uh, Neil Sullivan was in goal for Wimbledon that night, soon to become a Chelsea legend about 500 years later. <laughs> uh, now, uh, more importantly, which is, of course, the theme of this season, more importantly... We got a European Cup Winners' Cup semi-final to play, and we go away to Zaragoza. Um, and I'm going to hand this over to Mark for his uh, tales of the unexpected. I will, <laughs> I, I will ruin it for him first, though, by saying we got we got thumped three 0 Mark, but uh, which I kind know, of put it, a bit I, of a dampener on it, really, didn't it? It, it, it could have been last. There's a couple of things mentioned before that, um, and because we might be seeing them at the weekend. Just want to mention, like just before that, Kerry Dixon had his testimonial at the Bridge against Spurs. Absolute cock up by Chelsea. Only a four thousand crowd because there wasn't enough, you know, ticket office um, booze open on the night, so people just went home. Should never have played t- Kerry's testimonial mid-season in the middle of a European Cup when his cup won. Should have been on a Saturday. You know, that's the very least that guy deserved. There was no advertising mark either. That, that absolutely did, didn't mark it either. Colin no. Pates' testimonial against Tottenham a couple of year, years earlier was a pre-season friendly. So you know, poor old Kerry. You know. Holding a testimony in a crowded fixture was an absolutely travesty. The other thing I just want to mention as well, uh, and again, if people are mixed and listening, please do not cheat. Um, but I'm going to give you a question now. Um, around about this time, we entered a Chelsea team into the London Football Quiz Challenge. Um, sponsored by Bernardo's, raised money for charity. The Evening Standard, Journos had a team in there. Eleanor Aldroyd and Trevor Brookin and David Diddy Hamilton were there that night hosting it. Now, we put a Chelsea team in and we were chuffed to finish sort of like in third place behind Barnett and Brentford, who a bit, to their credit, swallowed the Rossman's football yearbook and knew it inside out. Um, so we finished third, but the tie-break question to separate Barnett and Brentford, so take this away, mix the people, don't cheat. Two flip chart papers, two pens, Barnett and Brentford had to write out the Germany and Holland teams, all 22 players. <laughs> yeah, Take that away. And we just, we did well. We got about 17. I think Barnett won it by getting all 22 and Brentford got 21. So that, that's your homework and Mixner tonight. See if you can quickly run off. What, from the, when? The, 74 or 88? 74 World Cup final. Germany beat Holland 2-1. Name the starting lineups for Germany and Holland. Yeah, Sepp Jack Meyer. Taylor. 
Set yeah, Maya, no, oh, yeah, Brightner, got time. Bertie, yeah, Bertie, okay, all right. Yeah, that, that's people's homework. They I've got take, three so far. Yeah, I'll can, work on the rest. Yeah, work, work, work on the rest. You can, be, you can be scribble it down. And the other thing to mention, by now, Mark, Matthew Harding has also bought um, West Redger properties from the Royal Bank of Scotland, which we talked about in last week's show. So Harding now owns the ground. Nothing's changed. You know, instead of the Royal Bank of Scotland owning the ground, that Ken Bates had 20 years to buy it off. Um, Bates now has to pay rent to Matthew Harding, but he can still buy the ground off him. So probably this is a, a bump in the road, perhaps between th their relationship. Bates is then coming out saying, well, he still represents 100 million to 102 million shareholders. But basically, Harding is now his landlord. So we'll talk about more about that on, on next week's show. And then the other thing Ken did, and I'd love to hear from people in Mixler, he launched a five-year season ticket for £2,000. In 1995, you could buy a season ticket for the next five years. I wonder how many people bought one. Well, I tell yeah. you what, if they had, what a five years they would have got. Absolutely. Because yeah. they wouldn't have, none, none of us could have known. Ticket? Where was the ticket? What seat? Drake's. Uh, Matthew, yeah, Matthew Harding. Matthew Harding. Yeah, right. so you could buy tickets. You know, and it wasn't the season ticket culture at Chelsea then. So you could buy a season ticket at Matthew Harding. You would have the five-year season ticket in the Matthew Harding. So you'd have seen FA Cups, 95, Cup 95, 96... Yeah. Yeah, 96, 97, winning the cup. 97, 98, winning the Euro, the European Cup, winners' cup again. Uh, so where we go? 90. I mean, Champions League qualification, cup final again. Not bad. Bloody hell, yeah. mate. Yeah, that would have been but, mental. But, 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 but Zaragoza, yeah, uh, we went with Mike Ross again. Prime events, lovely two-day trip to Zaragoza. Uh, we had tickets in the Zaragoza ends. We weren't on the official trips. Um, 35,000 fans, amazing atmosphere, one of the best European atmospheres I've ever been at. Um, they did their own Tavosi beforehand, scarves that were synchronized, uh, twirling them around in, in the air, really noisy atmosphere. You know, had the time of our lives in there with the Zaragoza fans. For those Chelsea fans who are obviously in the official section, you know, <laughs> feel sorry for oh, the female God. fan who had her perfume confiscated before the game. I feel sorry for the chap who got home to his wife who had the duty-free perfume confiscated, explaining that. And she probably thought, you never got me a present. You know, bet you spend it all on beer. And obviously, we got tonked there. Zaragoza were a good team. You know, they had Poye there. We won't mention the guy from the halfway line because we'll talk about him later. They had a guy called S. Snyder up front. You know, I was even saying we should buy him as a striker. He, he tore us apart that night. We were lucky to only lose 3-0. They were that good, Zaragoza. Uh, but again... Furlong had a late chance, like a volley, where the keeper. If Furlong that one had gone in, it could have been a really different game back at the Stamford Bridge. But halfway through the second half, all hell breaks loose. I don't know why, but the riot police in Zaragoza, um, it wasn't the local police to their credit. They bust in the Garda Seville from Madrid and Barcelona, you know, from people who were behind the goal. They were all wearing balaclavas, no ID. For a short period of time, they bat and charged the Chelsea fans until the Chelsea club trip steward stepped in and calmed everybody down. But it, it was no surprise because like, I flew into Barcelona and I'm watching the local news. Now, I can't speak Spanish, but I'm watching the local news and the, the film was all the Chelsea fans arriving on the plane and all they were saying, and, and in the local paper as well, I know what Los Huligos you know, translates to in English. And there was a constant diet 24-7. It, like you know, it was like an invasion. They were sort of portraying. So you know, probably this, you know, the police reacted how, how they did. They actually thought they were dealing with a load of hooligans. But the other thing about sort of Zaragoza as well is in the centre of Zaragoza, they've got the statue of the Virgin Mary, and it's called Pilar. 
And the whole country celebrates that as a national holiday. So probably there was a vision of the Virgin Mary hundreds of years ago in that part of Zaragoza. Uh, and that sort of statue in the Virgin Mary, do you know who she is the patron saint of? She's the patron saint of the Garda Seville. <laughs> so maybe oh. they had God on their side that night and we had Hod on our side. So after the game, um, we were going back with um, prime events, back to the airport. It's the only time till, I think, Stockholm... I've ever, you know, gone straight from a coach from a football ground onto the tarmac, up to the plane, without having to board a plane, without showing my ticket or my passport. The police were so desperate to get the Chelsea fans out of town that night. They just bussed every coach to the airport, you know, bypassed passport control and drove us straight to the plane and got us to take off as quickly as possible. Now, a lot of Chelsea fans got bad injuries that night from some of their treatment by the police. And I think it was taken up by the authorities at that time because you know the, the Garda Seville really behaved badly that night yeah okay again there'll be some Chelsea fans that were throwing seats back at them you can't condone that as well but things got completely out of hand and they didn't need to because actually Zaragoza was a great city great people great day basically sport by a game of football and the behavior of the police indeed it was uh, many I've heard many stories of, of that match it's not remembered fondly for that reason uh, and uh, over and above the fact that we got dubbed 3-0. And as Mark said, just to dot the I's and cross the T's, Miguel Pardeza, uh Juan Esnader. I remember him. He was a good player. He was a very yeah, good player, yeah. the other yeah. two. And a certain Gustavo Poye uh, got booked for Zaragoza. I'm going to whiz forward, because we've discussed the other matches that happened in between all that in the league, to the uh, return leg on the 20th of April, uh, which was an entirely different match, of course. Again, the BBC were covering it. Uh, and, uh, I mean, basically, we won 3-1, but, of course, it wasn't enough to go through because Zaragoza went through on the away goal. But it was quite a match. I mean, Furlong scores, basically, from a char... He charged the ball down off, off, uh, off, you know, the keeper kicked it and he charged it down. It kind of went in off his arse, really. So that was 1-0. And then Aragon... Aragon makes it uh, um, 1-1 to make it 4-1 on aggregate on nine minutes, uh, uh, after nine minutes of the second half. And then the second half, Peacock hits the post, Sinclair makes it 2-1, Hoddle comes on, the keeper fouls, Mark Steen, not given a penalty. Was it over, bro? No, some bloke called Corroda from Portugal. Uh, And then Furlong to Steen makes it 3-1 with three minutes left to play. I mean, I think to sum it up myself, a real bulldog performance. But at the end of the day, 3-0 was just too much to make up JK. Um, I always thought that it had hit Furlong on the back while he was running away. And it was just the keeper being completely incompetent. But having watched the video, um, it seems to hit him on the head. Um, I still don't think he's charging the ball down, though, Chidge. I think it's the goalkeeper's complete ineptitude. I think he's sort of turning and looking at the goalkeeper and it hits him on the head and goes in. I'm giving him too much credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think... Uh, fucking... Uh, but, what was it? Fucking hell furlong? Yes, indeed. <laughs> but fucking hell furlong? You couldn't even positive. charge it down properly. <laughs> fucking yeah. hell furlong? How did you score that? <laughs> <laughs> but it was unfair, really, that he would be remembered for that, looking back on his contribution. It's just he, he never quite made it this season. It was such a shame. We're going to talk about that in a minute with the, the summary. But... Um, it was a kind of sort of, you knew they weren't going to do very well. But I actually, it gave you hope at the very beginning when it hit him. I remember thinking, you know, that's that's there's a possibility here. We're, we're one up. Let's see what, how we can go. 
not and quite, it, not quite Napoli many years later. Although, of course, we we uh, were we three nil down against Napoli. I can't remember now. We got one three back one. Always, you know, you need that. Three nils are a real bastard to come back it from is, in Europe. Very, very. The only team I can remember doing was, I think it was Deportivo La Coruña against AC Milan in the Champions League, wasn't it? Not that long and ago. And Liverpool. And, oh, yeah, of course. How could we forget that? Uh, let's not digress, though. Um, do you know what I really want to ask you lot, uh, particularly as we're, we're, we're running very over time, but um, how did you feel at this stage? Because... You know, we had made a good effort, but it was clearly a, a bit of a mountain to climb. Were you crestfallen that we got out in the semi-final stage, or did you think, you know, what little Chelsea we've done quite well here, really, to get this far? Mark, yeah, both. Uh, I have to say, you know, I think any Chelsea fan at the start of the season, I think, was just chuffed to get past the first round. We got a European trip, so to get to the semi-finals and some of the the, the joy along that way, you know, the Cup Winners' Cup run that season was absolutely fantastic. So when you get to the semi-final, you get that close. There is there is a bit of a disappointment. That, uh, and the fact that Arsenal got there, but we'll come to that in a minute. Well, I was going to say, we'd have had yeah. Arsenal in the final. We, we would have had we Arsenal. Beaten we'd have Arsenal. We'd have beaten, beaten them. them. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was that disappointment. But yeah, I have to give credit. Yeah, With the three foreigners rule, it is remarkable that she got so far in the accommodation and did so well and got so close. You know, if, as I said, if Furlong's chance had gone in in the first leg, some of the chances in the second leg, who, who knows? The way the way goal that they got did kill us, but I actually thought it was a courageous performance. You know, the atmosphere was great that night. But the only criticism I would make as well is there was only twenty six thousand there that night, where the Bruce game was twenty nine thousand, and the reason why. Three 0 down. Three 0 oh, down. Category A, son. Oh, okay. category A. Bloody hell! I don't remember. He's that. He hasn't. He? <laughs> He's catching flies at the moment. Uh, sort your broadband out, uh, Mark. Uh, anyway, Dane, what, how did you feel? Oh, in hindsight, Zaragoza was a very good team. You know, they had a young future, world-class right back in Cafu uh, playing for them. He didn't play the first leg. He played the second leg. You know, they had Poyet, Naeem, as we said, you know, a Snyder who, who played for both Madrid clubs and Juventus had a good career. And that goal that... Uh, Aragon scored. We sent two of our defenders back down Fulham Road. Was yeah. was a really good goal. In hindsight, uh, I I was I was along for the ride. Uh, I know you do get carried away, uh, and I thought, yeah, I thought we exceeded. I think we you know we exceeded expectations really. Uh, as I said, it was it was a funny old campaign. The further you get, you do start to believe. I was. Before the Zaragoza first leg, I was starting to think of the, the potential of playing Arsenal in a final and what that would mean, and if I'd if my mum would let me go. But uh, I, I, as we sort of stated, the, the the league form was worrying. We could all see what Hoddle was trying to do, and we had the uh, the European run did cloud over a lot of that poor league form, and it kept us. Like interested for the rest of the season. Uh, little did we expect the amazing signings we was going to make in the summer. But yeah, I was I, like like the beginning of the season. I was I was optimistic. I, I was hoping it would be a start of something. Mm. J.K. I mean, you don't take defeat well, dear boy. I mean, no, you know, well, you you would have been around when we won it the first time. So you know, to get I, this close, no, I was. Um, uh, my expectations were high that that Hoddle would somehow do something. And the away leg at Zaragoza, even if it was um, 
defend it or do something just because of. I mean, he attempted to. He just played one up, I think, didn't he? And he put he put um, a the midfield. But that, I thought it was all over on the three nil. My I was bitterly disappointed. Mm. I thought we'd do better than that. So I went to the the home game with no expectations whatsoever, mm. and uh, and was. Um, uh, was annoyed that we managed to play that much better against them and didn't understand why we hadn't done that mm. away. And I thought there was a kind of naivety involved in that. Mm. So, uh, um, you know, I was very disappointed, yeah. Okay, there we go. Well, not surprising, really. Um, just to round the season up, uh, we then uh, basically beat QPR 1-0 uh, on my mum's birthday. Uh, Sinclair scores, Frank goal. And then the last three matches are... Are nuts. We're pretty much safe now. We're twelfth. We're in mid uh, table. By the way, Ray Wilkins was uh, QPR's player manager at the time. Uh, just for uh, you know, just always, always good to know these things. Now, the last three matches: uh, two aways, one at home. A nuts match against Everton away, three all. Uh, a, a furlong bizarre goal, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. Hinchcliffe makes it one-one. Then Ablett two-one. Hopkins scores for us, makes it two all. Then Amakochi makes it three two, and then Paul Furlong equalises to make it three all. We then have Leicester away, which is one one. Furlong scores, makes it one nil. Willis equalises, makes it one all. And then the last match of the season is at home to Arsenal, which is two one. Uh, notable for uh, the fact that it's Hoddle's last uh, match as a player. He retires as a player and just manages Chelsea after that season. Furlong scores after a Hoddle assist. Would you believe makes it one nil. John Hartson uh, scores 1-1 uh, uh, for Arsenal. And then Stino makes it 2-1. So there we go. I just uh, t- Tell me about the... Biz- who knows about the bizarre goal that Furlong scored in the Everton 3-3? And how nuts was that? Who was there? Who was there? You- oh, I, I, I'm, I'm questioning it because I know too much about that game. I can remember being a massive fan of Daniel Amakachi. I can also remember... You know, sometimes you're questioning whether you were there or not. I remember... Uh, Hinchcliffe, you know, and I don't know, I could, I can't remember watching it on telly. And yeah, it was, it was the problem with the furlong was it was uh, they just brought out a new rule, like not, uh, you know, two aspects of play, wasn't it? Because on the review, he was offside, but coming back onto an onside position and scored like a, a, a really close diving header. That was the that was the horror because they made a lot of fuss about that afterwards. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Mark. I, I was up at Goodison. Uh, you know, I don't remember the brouhaha. I, I've seen it since on t- TV. You know, we were just delightful. The goal I remember was David Hopkins. Because he didn't get many goals. And I, I, he gets one from a corner. And, and people go, what? Who's called Hopkins? What a cracking nah. goal. It's a blinding goal Hopkins gets. You know, you know, so you know, that was a bit of a surprise. And that was a great game. Because both teams were safe. And it was just end to end. It could have been a lot more than three all. You know, so, you know. Uh, and I think the other thing about the Leicester game was obviously it was fancy dress. It was Ken Bates lookalike day that day. Yeah, because <laughs> it was Blues Brothers last season, wasn't it? Blues Brothers, uh, Arkwright's day the year before, Beach Party the year before that. And obviously, to be fair, we met Bates beforehand, and he did post us photos that one of the guys dressed up with him. Yeah, Mark, people got the spirit. They... Can I ask you a question, Mark? Yeah. Did did some people then carry on wearing the the Ken Bates lookalike at the home game? Because Probably I, did. I, I, I remember seeing some people in in Ken Bates' outfits at the Arsenal game. <laughs> they, they they might have got the memo too late, <laughs> or maybe it was Ken Bates. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it was the new entry criteria to the East Stand Middle. You know, 
<laughs> you had to wear a Ken Bates wig. Yeah. Anyway, the uh, the other there was another notable thing about the well, another two notable things about the Arsenal the last match of the season against Arsenal by beating them two one. It meant that we finished uh, mm. in eleventh, and they finished twelfth. Always good to finish above Arsenal, of course. Uh, and of course, um, Arsenal had just lost the uh, the um, the final of the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, uh, European Cup Winners' Cup against Zaragoza, who had knocked us out in the semi-final. And how, Mark, how, Mark, did they lose this match? Naive from, from the halfway line. line. Naive from, from the halfway line. line. <laughs> and what did Chelsea fans do, Dane and Jonathan, uh, to celebrate this fact with David Seaman? Let's all do the Seaman. Let's all do the Seaman. That was a great, was a great day. Hands in that the air. Was a really good day. It was uh, sunny. I remember that day because I used to play football for Star and Garter, which is just down the Fulham Road in those days, past Lancaster and Fulham Court, near the fire station. And I had a nice roast dinner, a uh, really good time with friends. It was a Sunday, gorgeous day, good drink. Uh, for some reason, I took a, a girl, I had a girlfriend at the time, and her best friend was an Arsenal fan, so she made me take her with me. Uh, was in the Mafia in Low. It's a great game, great day, end of season. Yeah, really good, really, really good memories of that. I mean, Pig got scored as well. I think he was offside. Mm. So there you go. Uh, I mean, as I said, we finished 11th, uh, which is a bit disappointing, I suppose. But given the... I mean, the thing... I mean, you know, it's really interesting. Glenn, Glenn Huddle came out with a lot of very interesting things. He said, to be honest, I didn't really enjoy the football in the first two years, apart from the cup runs. But the final year, next season, was completely different. As I said, I think looking back on it, the European campaign definitely overshadowed the league, overshadowed the league campaign, and it, I think it did leave us overstretched. I mean, you think of the size of squads we have now, and they were competing on all fronts. Uh, obviously, they kind of like elbowed the cups, really, uh, apart from the uh, Cup Winners' Cup. And why not? You know, we'd not been in a competition like that for a long, long time. Plus, of course, you've got to factor in the fact that there was the three foreigners rule, including the Scots. But there were some huge, very memorable nights to usher in this kind of new dawn of Chelsea. That you know, some of these matches that we talked about, the Vienna match, uh, the Bruges matches, uh, even the Zaragoza at home, are remembered to this day for all sorts of reasons. And we had reached the semi-finals of a European competition for the third time in five campaigns. So it's pretty good. Um, I thought this was an interesting point that uh, I'm going to pick out a point that Mark made earlier on today. But before I do that. Just Hoddle, Hoddle really summing it up, <clears throat> and certainly about retiring from uh, from player management. He said it has taken its toll. It's virtually impossible. Uh, he thought we'd been semi-successful at Chelsea, uh, but it was right to go out on a high note. We needed extra quality players. The pass and move game is what he tried to do, uh, and according to Spackman, people preferred it. Um, it kind of just touched the surface of how he wanted to play but there was more to come. He wanted to play wonderful football. He was determined to get that. Some of the injuries hadn't helped, and he wanted the team to play with their head, not their heart. Um, just a couple of uh, you know tick boxing, box, uh, tick box ticking exercises. Top scorers were John F- uh, Paul Furlong and Johnny Spencer on 13. Gavin Peacock made 51 appearances. He was the highest appearance maker. Player of the year was Erlen Johnson for his solid defensiveness. Um but uh, Mark posited a very interesting question earlier on. He said, how was Glenn managing? Well, he had played 105, or had managed for 105 games, won 36, win percentage 34.2.8%, so 34.3 really, 
Porterfield played 90, uh, 131, and his win percentage was 34.4. So a cigarette paper between them. So it does beg an interesting question up to then, really. Um, was was he underachieving? And if so, why, JK? Uh, well, he was underachieving um, because he couldn't get them to play the way he wanted them to play. Um, and I thought it was interesting that some of the players he'd used the year before just didn't get in at all. Um, whether that was because uh, he didn't think they were good enough or he wanted to play a certain style. Um, but... Um, uh, poor old Furlong, I thought, was a victim of all of this because he was um, um, he was on his own a lot, playing up front on his own. Uh, and, and I have this vision of him chasing after the ball down the right-hand side all the time, which was a bit slightly the way that poor old Fleck played towards the end of his uh, involvement. Um, but um, uh, they weren't helped by, by one of the reasons for this season was that because of Dennis's intermittent involvement, because Dennis and Rocastle's intermittent involvement because both of those, to me, were very classy. Um, and it, uh, it, it, it just didn't really... It was too inconsistent. And I will say the, 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 uh, the European Cup was, was a lastoplast over it. He, he, didn't, um, he, didn't really, he didn't really get them to play the way that he wanted them to play. And I thought that the season before, it looked to me as if they were playing more the way he wanted them to play. So uh, I found this season a, a big disappointment, actually. Um, I found it difficult when he played because he he reached the stage. He liked bringing himself on, but he reached the stage where he he was all he he was all show pony and very little uh, um, involvement running back. And yet his show ponying was frequently great, but um, uh, it, it it disappointed me when he came on as a sub or even if he started, just because I thought no, this isn't working at all, Glenn. The season before, I thought he was much better. And I enjoyed him playing, but more. Um, but no, I, I, I think on the on on reflection, if he hadn't had the, if they'd gone out early on in the in the in the Cup Winners' Cup, it would have been a very very disappointing season. Well, we we might have done better in the league, to be fair. Well, I suppose yes. There's that as, aspect, of course, of of putting the of of having eggs in, to, eggs in one uh, basket and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point, Jude. Yeah, it could be that, and yet perhaps not. I think I think as I say, why is he not being available all the time? Was um, Disastrous for the team, actually. Mm. Mark, it was stop-start season. You know, the high points were the Euro- European games. Obviously, we started really well those first three games, unbeaten. Uh, the win against Leicester, I thought we were excellent that day. So there were times when we were doing it, but we weren't doing it often enough. And I think you know the, the, the cup run did cover up a, a lot of things. Because if you look at the second half of the season, and as you said earlier, that whole period where we didn't win at home for months and months. And the games that sort of stand out in the second half of the season do tend to be the European games. You know, there's, there's not many league games that the Bridge certainly stand out. There's the odd decent uh, away win where we won at Palace, we won at Forest, we won at West Ham. But a very inconsistent season. And I, I think the difficulty, JK's absolutely nailed it. You know, we missed Dennis Wise. You know? So whether he was being punished or he actually was injured, you know, the fact that, you know, when Dennis did play, he plays and he gets better, as I said in previous shows, year and year is each season goes by he gets better and better and better and he only played 28 games this season when obviously you know Gavin Peacock made 51 appearances so in a normal season Wise would have played 23 extra games and when he did play you know some of the goals he got were absolutely superb and also his yeah. contributions as well Mark his, yeah yeah as I said his, his passing his chipping yeah. into into the penalty yeah. area finding players 
And this is what his strengths became as the seasons went on. His, his ability to find players, he hated giving the ball away and uh, became one of my favourite ever Chelsea players. Mm, Absolutely yeah. brilliant. You know, you know, we, 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 def- we definitely missed him. You know, uh, and I think they said, obviously, it's probably a, a sign that Erlen Johnson was player of the year. He played a lot of football and he, he did play well. Uh, but other, other players just didn't play enough football. Felt, felt a bit for Sir Furlong. You know, again, he probably mirrored the sort of 94-5 season. There was games, you know, we was absolutely good in, in them, scored some really good goals. And the other games where he just got bullied out of it too easily, where in some of those away games we talked about earlier, us getting beat 3-0, we just got bullied out of it. So, mm. yeah, uh, overall... He missed, he missed some dreadful, dreadful yeah, open yeah. goals as well for a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I, overall, I think we're, we're, we're making progress, but obviously next season is it when it really begins to take mm. off. I mean, Dane, I, I think, you know, the football was better this season. There was definitely an improvement on the football. And, 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 and Hoddle, you know, went public so many times saying that that's what he felt he was here to do. I mean, we can sit here in hindsight and be a bit snarky saying, well, how arrogant and spursy of him because, you know, they've got the, this myth of playing great football and obviously thinking we're a bunch of Luddites who don't want to. But the reality was he was making us play better football and it was getting exciting I, I loved the the likes of Peacock and Spencer and Steen I thought that they were great little players I really enjoyed watching them play but the interesting thing is you know we only won eight matches at home this season in the league and I think that says it all really yeah Hoddle always comes across as a stubborn man and I don't mean stubborn in mm. a negative in a negative way I mean it uh you know like selfishness and stubbornness can be used in a positive way and maybe it's just struggling to implement his style. You know, this is the way I want you to play. And that's why they struggled. That's and because they couldn't you know, get on board with, with, with the same ideas. You know, we, you talked about Portfield having a better, uh, you know, a better win ratio. But off it's Hoddle is sticking to his guns and saying, I want you to pass it. And the players are not comfortable with that. Then we are going to struggle. You know, I, again, typical Chelsea, I got uh, blinded by the start of the season and possibly a top six finish because how we played so well. But again, without repeating uh, uh, Mark and JK, but I, this is more for the listeners who, who, who never had, had the chance to watch Wise. You know, I can't stress enough how important and influential this guy was. You know, JK's right to say, you know, he's one of his favourite ever players. It, whether we say top five, top 10, top 15, top 20, he was one of Chelsea's greatest players. You know, he, he, he had it all, you know, for, for, for a guy, if we're going to stereotype a size of players that sometimes get turned out of uh, uh, turned out of professional football, you know, he was a winger who who become a centre midfielder and he, he crossed the ball, passed the ball, tackling, scoring penalties, said his captain and leadership. He was, he was a, a brilliant, brilliant player. And it's a shame that I don't think he's talked enough. Maybe our era talk about him, but, you know, he was a great player. Rocastle started the season well. Uh, injuries drifted out. Steen didn't start the season well. I think Furlong had a good start and a good end. And in the middle, you know, he, he was, again, drifting wide and and, and, and not, not in the box enough. And when he did, he you know, he, he looked very weak. And uh, Spencer as well. Spencer had a good season. Uh, Gavin Peacock had a good season. I... I to be fair, I can't remember a lot of Erlen Jonsson. I remember when when you said you sent the schedule out and you said about this season. I can remember Wise missing a lot of the games, but I can miss being really, really impressed with Peacock. His overall game. I said earlier his goals dried up a bit, but his overall game for me, for me seemed to improve. Uh, 
and it was yeah optimi- optimistic and you know they was about to make some amazing signings and and obviously uh, uh, the next show is going to be brilliant you know when you when you talk about the, the incoming signings but in hindsight now you could see what he was trying to do and and and, and good for him that he stuck with it and yeah. the club backed him by making make, making some really brilliant signings yes, they did indeed final point mark as you've so you love beautifully put your pen in the air and awaited your <laughs> turn so final point to you mark uh, I think the other thing I, w- I would give Hoddle some credit for, uh, and J.K. Mayfield, he only actually started three games this season, where the previous game he played a lot more football. Mm. So he actually had to trust those players, wh- whether they did everything they- he wanted them to do. You know, he, he started three games, came on as sub- as 12, but there were 30-odd games he played no part in. So he's having to put his faith in that pass-and-move game with the players he had. And there were players who had good seasons all round. Gavin Pickett was a good example of that. Uh, and there were players who had their purple moments during the course of the season, like we did as a team. You know, so there was lots of people that hit form for certain parts of the season, and we did as well. But you know, let's look forward to next season where it really begins to take off with a certain Dutch gentleman. It does indeed, and I'm already looking forward to that once I've rested my poor brain after a mammoth, mammoth Chelsea fancast tonight. But uh, before we disappear, I just want to uh, say a huge thank you to Dane. Uh, it's been great fun tonight, Dane. Really enjoyed it. Well done, mate. Oh, yeah, thank you. I, I tell you what, it's really nice we live in these seasons because you, you, you sort of remember, you know, what it was like sporting Chelsea in those days. And, you know, I used to go to the away games and my highlight would be as long as we score a goal, so I've got something to cheer. Mm. You know, we didn't have much expectation. Mark, I, I, Dane, I'm still like that now. If we don't <laughs> score, I get the real hum. Well, I didn't even see a bloody goal. You know, I hate it when we don't score a game. So I, even now, and I, I totally get what you mean. Dane, always lovely to see you. No Thank doubt, you. We'll, absolute we'll, pleasure. We'll ho- hopefully see you for the for the the ninety seven show when we win the cup, and then obviously we'll be back into the normal fan yeah. cast. So yeah. see yeah. you a bit then as well. And I hope we'll see you, see you on Saturday. Obviously, yeah. I can't wait. Absolutely. Looking forward to that, uh, Mister Meehan, You are a font of all knowledge and silly stories, and I love you for it. It's been <laughs> hugely entertaining listening to your absolutely bizarre stories tonight. Absolutely it, brilliant. Yeah, enjoyable. So it's been, it's been a bit of a long player tonight. Like this is probably the record fan cast on the length no, of the show. We, we've been, done longer yeah. than this, but we, oh, were, really? we oh. were we were a lot drunker then. Yeah. <laughs> and this this is done with no alcohol on my part. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant to see you, Mark. Looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. And, of Absolutely. course, also looking forward to seeing you uh, uh, enlighten us with your stories next Monday. I can't wait. JK, uh, I, I feel I feel you and I, and I have to say, I say this with love and delight, we have been utterly upstaged tonight, and I think it's oh, brilliant. Willing to be so, though. <laughs> Happy to be I so. I know. I know. Less work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's been brilliant, hasn't it? Great yeah. to see you, as always. Have you enjoyed yourself tonight? Yeah. It, it, well, interestingly, it's a season that isn't very up in my memories it's uh, um uh, markers as usual um restored them as a dane actually by talking about things you just think oh yeah i remember that i remember being there but uh it it it, it was it, i i ended the season disappointed so um uh but as always it's great to discuss it it's great to uh to try and remember why i've expunged it from my memory indeed well, well there you re- go you can listen to this again and you have it all restored. Um, <laughs> obviously, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you lot on Saturday for our, our, our piss-up, which is going to be great fun, providing we don't all croak of COVID or get it before then. Uh, but uh, to the listeners out there, thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, don't forget, we'll be back uh, next Monday when we will be doing the 1995-96 season. So join me, JK, and Mark next Monday for another instalment of... 
uh, Chelsea's 50 years of history. So there we go. 50 years of Chelsea, in fact, isn't it? That's what I call it. What do I call this show? 50 years of Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. I got there in the end. Right. Brilliant stuff. Right. Good night, everybody. Take care. You lot. Brilliant stuff. Well done, as always. Until next Monday, keep the blue flag flying high and up the chill. Up the chill. chill.